think about the audience. Think about the an audience is general, right? So reader, user, audience member, whatever it is. Think about who the person is, who those folks are, what they bring. So their level of expertise, the language that they know, their level of expertise to the content and to the graph type. And I think if you can just, I mean, that's what I always tell my students. The main thing, I can show you all these tricks and tips about data viz, but if you haven't thought about your audience, your work is not going to have the impact that you want it to. So I think that's the thing is to keep in mind is who the audience is and how you can best meet their needs. And I think all the other stuff almost, as you mentioned earlier, like almost comes secondary to that, right? Because you can make the best, coolest looking slide or graph or dashboard, but if someone can't use it or doesn't understand it, then it's 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 not going to help them. Welcome to the Ideas on Stage podcast, your regular insight into leadership communication. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hey, Andrea. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm very good. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your for your time today, John. We are going to talk about your area of expertise, data visualization. We're going to look at better data visualizations. And before we get into the meat of the conversation, I just have a curiosity. I was looking at your website, policy. Do you pronounce it policy viz? Yeah, policy viz. Yeah, maybe a little more uh, American English than British yeah. English. Yeah, yeah policy viz. Yeah. Com, yeah. which I recommend, yeah. fantastic website. And you also sell some merchandise. I saw some T-shirts. There's one mm -hmm. T-shirt that says, I have it here. This is why we can't have nice things. And yeah. there's a pie chart that illustrates it. Now, for those for those who are not yet familiar with your work, with mm -hmm. data visualization, why that T-shirt? So I, I think if people uh, take a look at my my site and my books and whatever uh, my my social media feeds they'll find that i'm pretty open to exploring different data visualization types and trying different things i'm not really like never ever use this graph or never ever use this graph 3d exploding pie charts on the other hand maybe where i kind of draw the line i mean i you know there are lots of times where you create a graph that maybe doesn't follow what you know some people in the field would you know call quote unquote best practices. Um, but oftentimes we have to bake, bake, break or bend those rules so that we can engage people and get them to come to the website or the book or the, you know, our, our event or whatever it is. But generally those 3D exploding pie charts, which everybody knows, right? Everybody who's ever opened Excel knows that there's the one thing that has that 3D pie chart with all the slices everywhere. They're just, they're just, I mean, with, I can't even think of an exception. They just don't effectively visualize or communicate your data. And so those are the sorts of things in that like Excel dropdown menu, even though I'm a big fan of Excel and I use Excel for a lot of my work, those are the sorts of things I would just like to kind of black out so that people can't use those things. Cause they're just, they just fundamentally don't do a good job of, of communicating data. So that's why for that shirt, uh, I kind of feel like that 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 chart type really kind of ruins it for the rest of us. <laughs> and it made me that 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 t-shirt made me laugh. And but wh why is it like again for those for those of us? So think about the our audience, business owners, business leaders, business professionals. For those of us who are not uh, experts in data visualization, why is it that, for example, three D exporting pie charts do not 
do a good job at at explaining, visualizing, communicating data? Yeah, good question. So I think anyone can do this test. So if they open Excel or, or Google Sheets, I think you can make 3D charts in Google Sheets. Uh, open uh, open a, a spreadsheet and put in you know three round numbers, 10, 20, and 30, and make yourself a 2D, let's just say a column chart, make it easy example. Um, and then make another chart that's the 3D version of that. So same three numbers, 10, 20, 30. What you'll see in the 3D version is at the tops of those bars or the edges of the bars, depending on how you orient it, won't touch the grid lines re relative to that number, right? So the, the, the bar for 20 in the 3D rotation will be just shy, just below that grid line for 20. Um, whereas in the 2D version, it will hit that, that 20 grid line directly. And the reason is because in the 3D version, what the tool is doing, it's not actually 3D, right? We don't need the red and blue glasses, right? Um, it's just kind of, it's just tilting the visualization to create a perspective. And so when you look at that graph, when you just glance at it, not that glancing is the test, but when you just glance at that graph, it doesn't look like the bars are equal to 10, 20, and 30. And so they're not actually accurately representing the data. For pie chart specifically, when you rotate that pie chart and make it 3D, you add that, I don't know what we would, what we would call it, the, the, the sort of like that, that vertical part that shows up on the screen, right, to give it that 3D effect. So now what you've done is for the front slice, you've added more pixels, more visual weight to that pie chart. And so now that slice that's in the front appears as if it's a taking up more of the space. So it appears larger than it actually is. So there are some, I would say, rare exceptions where 3D can be used well, where you want to engage people, or you do have a third variable. I mean, I think that's where 3D works, where you have a third variable. But these sorts of things that we're talking about are sort of gratuitous and not adding a third variable, just adding a third dimension to sort of like, you know, I don't know, make it look different or something. I, I also think just, and this is purely aesthetic, I think the 3D stuff just kind of at this point looks old. Like it just, it doesn't look, like I think in Excel 1984, people were like, ooh, we can create 3D on our Apple IIEs. That's amazing. But now 2023, I think they just kind of look old and and dated. Uh, they're kind of like the data viz version of clip art at this point. So I tend to just shy people away from those unless they have a third variable, in which case we're kind of having a different discussion. Um, but yeah, I think they look old and I think they, more importantly, they, they can distort the data. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why people use them is because they think it's cool. Yeah. And regardless of whether or not this is true, but often we think that that's cool. But I agree with you, especially when it comes to displaying data, we don't have to be cool. We need to be clear. And right. uh, we need to make sure that the, the, the data is understood uh, by the audience. Yeah. Now, John, you have a very interesting profile because you are an economist, you are a data visualization and presentation skills specialist. Just out of curiosity, can you tell us more about your background and how did you end up doing what you do? Yeah. So I'm, uh, as you mentioned, I'm trained as an economist. Um, I have a PhD in economics from Syracuse University here in the States. Um, I uh, spent a good chunk of my early career at the Congressional Budget Office. Uh, I live in Northern Virginia now, uh, just outside DC, pandemic living uh, outside the city. But I spent the first part of my career at the Congressional Budget Office in DC, uh, which for those who don't know, is the is kind of the budget arm of the US Congress. And 
I was there for about uh, just over nine years. I worked primarily on social security and retirement policy and healthcare policy and nutrition policy. Um, and I would say, a, you know, fairly deep into my, my tenure there, uh, I started to get, I guess, I guess the word would be frustrated that our work to my eye didn't have the impact that I felt it deserved that a lot of the think tanks and advocacy groups were getting the media attention rather than our work, which is requested by members of Congress, right? Which is kind of weird if you think about it, right? So Andrea, you're asking me for a report. We, I do the analysis and I give it to you. And the thing that you pay attention to is this stuff from, from over there, right? And so it's a little frustrating. And so I started just to think about why that might be. And in my just sort of thinking and reading and 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 looking around, you know, I kind of stumbled into this field of data visualization, which at the time, you know, this is kind of before it really like everybody, you know, knows the phrase data visualization, right? Uh, I didn't really kind of realize there was a field, right? Like I knew there was graphic design um, and I knew that there were different tools that were being used and emerging for, for data and, and for making graphs and charts. But didn't really know that there was a field of research around what are effective graphs and effective user experience on the on the web. And I didn't realize there was kind of this combination of, you know, take the graphic design piece, the illustration piece, and combine it with good data. Um, and sort of stumbled along that into that field and started engaging with people. And that's the one great thing about the data visualization field is it is just the, a great community. Um, and so then took a few design classes, started trying some things, found out about this thing called infographics and started making infographics along with my like, you know, 80 page reports. And and I think that was really maybe the point, the kind of the crucial point, because I think what a lot of researchers, scientists, analysts aren't able to do is distill their message or their ideas down to kind of that infographic length, right? And at the time, it was really the tower infographics that you scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. And now I think we kind of moved into more of the, you know, I kind of think of it like an eight and a half by 11, you know, whatever, whatever. I don't know, the London size is A1 maybe. I don't know what I, you know, I can never keep these straight. But, you know, that kind of just leave behind piece of paper. And I think that's a really hard skill for people to um, develop is how do you, and I don't want, I'm not gonna use the word reduce, but how do you distill all that analysis down to kind of a summary? Um, and it's not that the summary is gonna replace the 80 page report, but it's going to accompany it. It's gonna be that door for people to walk in for those who may not be as interested in all the math and all the details and all the science, right? They just wanna know like what in the, you know, in my work at CBO, like how much are we spending on this program? What is the effect going to be? Um, so I started getting involved in that, and then I started doing some teaching, and uh, and so I moved over. Uh, this is about nine years ago now. Moved over to the Urban Institute, which is a nonprofit research institution based here in DC, um, and I spent half my time in the communications department, and then I spent half my times. I still I still do research. About half of my time is research, um, and so a lot of my uh, work is spent. Uh, both for my own research, trying to distill things down. I mean, I, I said it was a hard skill. It's still, I mean, it's still a skill that I continually develop. I mean, it is hard to do 
you have this big analysis you've done for six months. How do you get that down to one page? And it's it's not easy to do. Um, and then I help obviously my colleagues and coworkers creating better graphs, better slides. Uh, I build uh, tools for them. So PowerPoint templates or add-ins for Excel to make things faster and easier. So um, yeah, and, and a lot of it is really, I would say, I'm, I'm sure you all at Ideas on Stage have, have learned this as well. It is a process to help people through this kind of journey of, I've got all this analysis and now I need to distill it down so that I can communicate it through a 12 minute presentation or through a single handout or document or on a podcast, whatever it is. And that is a process. I mean, that that is that is not easy to do. And it's something that is one of those skills that I think everybody just kind of continually needs to develop and, and work on. Yeah. And in your TEDx talk, which I watched and I recommend it, great, great talk. By the way, there was one part, maybe a few minutes towards the end of the, the talk uh, where you just, you go through lots of different possibilities for displaying data in a very yeah. engaging way. So congratulations. That, that great you. talk. Yeah. And in that talk, you, I think you start with, by sharing an anecdote that, that explains very well the importance of visualizing data and doing it well. I don't know if you remember the anecdote, but you 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 shared that at some point uh, one of the infographics that you created ended up on TV. I think it was mm. for a U U.S. Congress hearing mm -hmm. or, or something. Could you please share the the anecdote with us? Because I think it's 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 very good at explaining the importance of effectively visualizing data. Yeah. Uh, so this is, I think, one of my, I would consider it like one of my kind of personal success stories, right? So um, uh, CBO has a, you know, right, is, is you know, is a, is a government agency that they produce a lot of reports. Um, and there are a few reports that they have to create that are mandated in law by Congress. And so one of their reports, and this is when I was there, um, you know, working on this report every year, uh, is what's called their long-term budget outlook. So they have to do a analysis of the long-term budget outlook for the for for the U.S. Uh, federal budget. And we created an infographic to go along with this, you know, 150-page report. And the the infographic, which you which you can find online, and I'm, I'm sure you'll link to it on the on the show notes, basically says, you know, basically has a title bar and it has two different definitions of, at that time, there were two baselines because of what was happening in the politics. And then right below that is this big graph. It's just a big area chart that shows federal debt over time. It's just this big, because that was a big concern at, in this particular year of, of federal debt. And then below that, I think were maybe like three or four or five little bar charts that showed different levels of spending and revenues and, and net interest on the debt and that sort of thing. So we created this infographic and it was it was designed to be eight and a half by 11 because prior to that point, I'd been creating tower infographics. And it was kind of like, I don't know, trying to, in some ways, I guess I, I guess my approach was let's make kind of like the graphic comic book version and a serious comic book version of the report. And so they were kind of long. Um, and what I really started to think about was, are people actually even reading that? Like we really need to distill it down. So it was an eight and a half by 11 version. And I will also say, I'll also say for folks who don't know, Washington D.C. is still a very print-heavy town. People people like to have printed materials. Uh, uh, we, you know, government has still not totally moved over to the digital space. 
So I kind of hope that this would serve as the leave behind type of type of uh, resource. So this was, I think, like, I can't remember if it was 20, I think it was like summer of 2012. Um, I was in my office and there's a, there used to be, it's been a while since I've been there, so I don't know, but like there was a big widescreen TV out in the hallway and people were watching a budget committee hearing. This is what CBO people do. We sit down and we watch hearings on C-SPAN. Um, and from the hallway, I was in my office and from the hallway, I heard people yelling, uh, John, John, come outside. Your infographic is on TV. And so uh, I go out there and and uh, one of the members on the on the committee uh, is was holding up that piece of paper of the printout of that infographic. And you could see he had written all these notes all over it. And, you know, he was referring to he's like, you know, I can't remember what he called it. He called it. He definitely didn't use the word infographic, but he said, you know, this little sheet or summary sheet or something like that, you know, shows blah, blah, blah. And it was like, you know, that's a win. Like, that's the the whole point. Because we know members of Congress are not going to read 150 pages. They're, 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 they don't have the time. They just, they're not. Maybe their staffs will. But if you want to get information to the hands of people who are the elected members who are sitting on the committee, you got to meet them where they are. And I think that's one of the things that researchers and scientists and analysts maybe forget pretty often is that not everybody, not every audience member, not every reader has the same level of interest or expertise in every topic. And so you have to meet them where they are. A member of Congress is very, very busy. They've got a lot of demands on their time, a lot of topics that they're they're, they're working on. And so if you can give them this one piece of paper that they can read, it doesn't mean they are going to read it, obviously, but like you just increase your odds, right? And so this was just that experience of providing the right type of information in the right format to the right person at the right time. And they were able to use it in, you know, in a congressional hearing, which is like, that's, yeah, that's the whole goal. That's what we're trying to do. And, and this is very much connected to something else that you often talk about, which is the importance of thinking about your audience. Mm. When you communicate data, when you visualize data, you often talk about being very clear about the purpose of the data and who is it for the audience yeah. would you like to to tell us a little bit more about this what what's your take what are your thoughts around thinking about the purpose of the data and making sure that it works for a particular type of audience yeah again you know so i work as an economist and working at a nonprofit you know i work with a lot of researchers and economists and social scientists and so that's generally my 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 audience that's the folks i have in mind i my my kind of avatar for my my kind of target audience is a nonprofit with you know a dozen people they have a very small staff there's one person who's the data person so that's who i'm generally envisioning for my work but i think no matter who you are no matter what sector you're in no matter what kind of work you do you always have to be thinking about your audience because an academic reader right from a peer-reviewed journal article is going to read things and look for things and bring things with them in a very different way than when you post something on twitter or on facebook or i guess i we got to start throwing threads into the mix now um very different than a member of congress right very very different than you know uh, uh an advocate or or a practitioner and so when we at Urban are producing content, we are thinking very, very carefully about these different audiences. We we actually, for, for virtually all of our products that we produce, we actually require our researchers 
to uh, kind of make a, a list of who they want their target audience to be, right? We kind of give them a curated list and they're fairly broad, obviously, but you know, is it a state policymaker? Is it a federal policymaker? Is it an academic? Is it a practitioner? Who is it? And then we ask a follow-up question, which is now let's rank. You've picked three. Now let's rank them because I think it is just, I know we all want our content to go viral. <laughs> we want everybody to see it, but that's just not the way the world is. If everything went viral, then we wouldn't need the word viral, right? So so it is just, I think, so important to target your audience carefully. And I would also say, if you're thinking about your data visualizations as well, that you wouldn't just think about your content and the words that you use, but you'd also think about the graph type, right? So not everybody... I think many of us who you know work with data all the time, many of us forget that not everybody knows how to read a scatter plot. Like it's just, it's you know, we, we I always tell people like we as human beings, it is not in our DNA to know how to read a bar chart or a line chart, right? Like we have to we learn that back in grade school, and so the reason why people don't know how to read, I could list off you know twenty graphs that maybe for many people listening to this podcast would be like I don't know what he, like. What's a Maramico chart, slope chart, dot plot, Sankey diagram? Like, what are those? Well, you only learn how to read those by being exposed to them and learning how to read them. And so it's not just about the words that you use, but it might be also the graphs. And it might be that this graph that you think, for example, your audience doesn't know how to read a scatter plot. You might just, you know, think that that's, that's possible. So and, but you might also think that this is the right graph for your data. So what you might need to do is add some additional annotation or labels to help your reader understand how to actually read the graph. I would also say, um, you know, I took uh, I took uh, ideas on stage presentation class here in DC years ago. Um, and one of the things that that we worked on in that and that class was really kind of distilling our message. Well, if you're in the presentation world and you think my audience doesn't know how to read a scatter plot, Maybe you don't just click to the slide and have the scatter plot with all the dots and all the labels and everything on there. You just work your way into it. You show them, I mean, the way I do it is here's the, I just show them the Y axis and the X axis and say, I'm going to show you this relationship on this axis. I'm going to show this thing. And on over here, I'm going to show this thing. And then I'll click ahead and show some of the dots and say, okay, each dot represents a country. And so you can see, you know, and sort of just walk them through it. Um, because yeah, not every audience member or reader or user is the same. And I think that is a, a a mistake that many of us make when it comes to communication. We think everybody's like us. Everybody has been as neck deep in our analysis uh, as we've been for the last week or six weeks or six months. And that's, that's just not thinking, I think, carefully about who the audience is. I'll, I'll add one more thing, actually, uh, just because I, I kind of went back to the ideas on stage website to just sort of like refamiliarize myself. I'm thinking about um, maybe some of the folks in the business world. Um, I have a, a friend at, at CBO who's a, now a manager there. And one thing she always tells me, she's always surprised how she'll have some of her early career staffers, they want to have a meeting with her and they'll come to the meeting and kind of stumble through what they want to talk about. Because especially in the business setting, a meeting is a presentation. And so you know, you've worked on your content for several weeks and now you need to go brief your boss. Well, your boss hasn't been neck deep in the data and in the analysis. So that one-on-one -on -one meeting is still a presentation. It's still thinking about who that audience member is. It's still your manager who, 
needs your expertise distilled down so that they can understand it. So I think every meeting from one-on-one to a keynote address, we need to be thinking about the audience and who they are, what they need, what their level of expertise is, what their what their language is. Um, I think these are the things that we need to be thinking about to, to be successful. And I think that's the number one principle, the most important principle in communication. We may have a message which could be around some data, but in general, we may have an idea or a message which is simple for the audience to understand, clear for them to follow, but if it's not relevant to them and their needs, if it doesn't work for them, then it doesn't matter. And also right. connected to what you just said, I interviewed Dr. John Medina for, oh, for this podcast, right. Brain Rules, and yeah. he often says, what's obvious to you is obvious to you. Yeah. Which is exactly what, what you said. And also, maybe you said everything, but maybe not, because that's an important, I think it's a it's a it's a useful insight for our listeners. In in your book, better data visualizations, you talk about using the right graph for the right data. Again, you talked about it now. Is there anything else to to add here? Because I think, John, that many people, again, in the especially in the business world, don't think about that. They just they just maybe they know a bar chart, a line chart, but even there, we, we a pie chart, but we often don't think about okay, what's the right graph for mm. the right data, i.e., depending on what we want to show. Maybe we may want to compare a few things, we more we more want to show a trend over time. Can you tell us a little bit more about this idea around choosing the right graph for the right data? Yeah, I mean, I would say there's, I guess, well, there's a lot to say <laughs> to that. I mean, first off, it's not a one-to-one. So imagine your vertical bar chart or your column chart, whatever, however you want to call it. Uh, the Excel part, the Microsoft Excel parlance is, is column chart, but whatever you want to call it. That chart could be used to compare different categories, but you could also use it to show change over time. So there is a mixture here in the field of data visualization between art and science, right? There is some science to, there are some graphs that are just, you know, there are rules around them, for example, like a pie chart. Okay, a pie chart should not sum to more than 100% because it is a part to the whole. So when you see a pie chart with a slice of sum to more than 100%, that is just objectively wrong. Now, you know, but, but other than that, you're sort of like in this world of, you know, the right graph is really what is right you know, I guess underlying it for the data, but really what is right for the audience? Like you just said, what do you want them to do with it, right? Do you want them to make this comparison between the different categories or do you want them to emphasize, I guess, maybe a change over time? And so I would also add into that mix, you know, the platform that you're using. And obviously we just talked about audience, so obviously audience, but I would add platform to that. I think that is an especially in our current modern era, right? Like, you know, 20 years ago, PDF reports, static graphs, that was it. That's all you did. Now you have to decide, is it going to be a static graph? Is it going to be interactive? Is it going to be animated? Is it a dashboard? Like there's a lot of things to consider. And those are, those are serious considerations. I mean, you know, you might find you go to the the Guardian website or the New York Times or the Washington Post and you find or you know pick your pick your pick your website and you find these great interactive visualizations maybe they're animated lots of things happen they move around you know if you are 
well, I'll just speak to the U.S. experience. There are more for there are more than forty million people in the United States who do not have broadband access, right? So, like that great interactive animated visualization, you're not going to be able to read it on your phone. You just don't have the bandwidth, right? So, just like in a simple thing like that. So, and, and back to the congressional example, like they like pieces of paper. So, you know, creating that cool app, you know, might not work for that audience. So, you know, the right graph for the right data, I think when you boil it down is really kind of more about the graph, the 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 best graph that helps you convey your message for your target audience, which is not as short and 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 concise as the right graph, but I think is a little bit more accurate, right? Kind of gets gets to that piece. So there's a lot of considerations, but I would also uh say to folks, and this is kind of what I do when I teach, is to try to just um, show people different types of graphs, right? Again, we all know, as you just mentioned, lines, line charts, bar charts, pie charts, area charts. We all know those because they're in the Excel and Google drop-down menus. You all kind of know those. But there are other graphs out there that are are sometimes, sometimes they're, you know, objectively better at showing the data. Maybe you've never seen it before, but you'll see this, you know, the the trend or the or the comparison more clearly. And sometimes they're just more engaging. And sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, engagement is a goal, right? Like you put your, you know, kind of think of it like the advertisement for your longer report on Twitter. The goal is to get someone to click on that link to come over to the report. And so in on Twitter, the, the point, what I like to say is like, I say I'm trying to get people over to my academic paper. Well, for the academic audience, it's really important that this bar that's representing 3.5% is you know, this exactly this much taller than the bar that's 2.1%, right? That for that audience. But for the Twitter audience, what's important for them to know is that this thing on the left, this this value on the left is bigger than this value on the right. And so maybe, you know, I try something else. Maybe I use icons or I use color or I, I use, I maybe I play around with 3D or I use motion or something because I'm trying on Twitter or again, any of those other social media platforms, I'm trying to attract, grab attention. But once someone's in the academic paper, I've already kind of got their attention, right? It's a different, it's a different user, a different audience. And so, um, yeah, that right graph is really uh, a simplification of all the things we have to think about when it comes to, I think, you know, more effectively communicating. It goes back to to the audience, the platform, as you said. For example, John, I don't know whether Phil covered uh, that. Most likely he did, but that was a few years ago in, in, in the workshop that you attended. The very first thing we do when we work with a client in preparation for a presentation, for example, we always start with what we call the ABC of preparation, audience, burning needs, and context. Mm. And you use the word platform, we say context just to make it ABC, but it's, it's yeah. exactly the yeah. same. Yep. Exactly the same principle. Now, John, we, we already, in your, in your answers, you already shared some of the, the mistakes that, that, that we make when visualizing data. Can you think of one mistake, which is perhaps the, the number one mistake, the, the, the biggest mistake that you see in your, based on your, your experience, when it comes to displaying, communicating, visualizing data? Mm. I mean, I think if we move beyond, you know, I think if we if we, if we we ignore for the moment, you know, creating a graph that your target audience just won't understand, right? Like not thinking about your audience. If we think specifically about data visualization, again, I'm not 
too uh, rigid about my rules, but there is one rule that I follow, which is your bar charts, your column charts should always start at zero. Um, and uh, I think folks who are in the data viz field, I think we all generally kind of agree on this on this fact. Um, when again, if you want to if you want to practice this, you can see it very easily. Uh, create yourself a, a bar chart. Uh, pick two values, pick 200 and 150, right? Just pick two values. You can create that bar. And if you calculate the ratio of the heights of those two bars, you're going to get a ratio. You know, if you divide 200 by 150, you get that ratio. Now, if you start the value, the, the axis at something other than zero, started at 100, and you recalculate the ratio of the heights of those bars, you're going to get a much higher value of that ratio. And so what that says is that by starting the graph at something other than zero, you're overemphasizing the difference between the bars. Now, I am one, and I hope most of your listeners are, uh, to be honest and objective and clear with my data visualizations. And so I don't want to overemphasize and mislead people with my data viz. So I think that's kind of like, for me, uh, that's kind of like my 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 core rule. I have a bunch of others that are kind of smaller and maybe a little bit more niche, but I will say, because I'm sure there are people who are listening to this and 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 their answer would have been no pie charts ever. Because this is kind of like the thing in the data viz world that that I think is 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 not true, right? People say, yo, you should never ever use pie charts. And there's really no science behind that at all. Um, it is just kind of been made popular by a few influential uh early data visualization folks. And so what I would say to that is. It is just like any other chart. It is what you're trying to communicate and who you're trying to communicate with. If you are trying to show people that say slightly more than half of this data of this variable is taken up by this one segment relative to these other two segments, a pie chart might be the best solution because you can really easily see that the slice you start at 12 o'clock it's just you know slightly past six o'clock you can see that it's more than half i think the thing to keep in mind is that sometimes we want people to be able to 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 pick out or see specific exact values again back to the academic example 3.5 percent 2.1 percent and sometimes we want them to just have a sense this thing is just a little bit more than half it's around a quarter it's bigger than this other thing and neither of those two scenarios are right or wrong. It's just, again, back to the audience. What do you want people to know? Again, I, you know, I want this pie chart. I want you to see that this is slightly more than half. If I'm showing my financial accounting to my accountant, like that doesn't work. Like my accountant needs to see that this thing is, you know, this specific dollar amount down to the cents. And so I think it's... Um, or the pounds. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm not going to the pounds in the UK. But yeah, dollar. Right. Pounds, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it, it again, it comes. It comes down to the audience and um, and to think about what do you want people to do. But there are these sort of like, I would call them generally loose rules, except for this zero axis thing. That that for me is like started zero. Yeah. yeah, because you mentioned overemphasizing, and I would say that emphasizing, please correct me if, if I'm wrong, but sometimes you do want to emphasize something. Maybe you've got a bar chart, but you really want to show the, you want to emphasize one particular bar. That's that's good. 
yeah. it actually makes it easier for the audience to to really pay attention to the one thing you want to get across, but then overemphasizing something, skewing it, yeah, is is a different is a different. Yeah, thing. I mean, emphasizing it for sure. I mean, I use uh, and 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 folks who who followed my work and have have read my book, you know, I have a whole section on what I call starting with gray, which is where I make everything gray on my graph, and then I say, okay, so what do I want to emphasize? Um, and so maybe it is. I have six bars on the bar chart, but I make the everything's all five of the bars are gray and one of them is red, right? I want to emphasize that. So emphasis is good. It's overemphasizing to the point of uh, distorting, right? And I think that's the that that for me is the line. Yeah. And in another one of your books, Better Presentations, you talk about what to even some of the principles to consider when it comes to data visualization but applied to the context of giving a presentation because you say of course it's it's correct that a presentation and i'm talking about an oral presentation like a mm -hmm. live presentation where you you are there as a presenter so not a handout but so that kind of context is different from a document from a, sure. an excel spreadsheet so is there anything that we need to consider in terms of data visualization when it comes to preparing and designing a presentation that we need to deliver to, to an audience? I mean, I think there is in that oral presentation, that PowerPoint keynote world, I think it does free us up a little bit because one, I think, one of the things I think people worry about is when you're creating that graph that has a lot of data and a lot of text and a lot of labels is that it, you might think from the creator perspective, it's overwhelming. People aren't going to be able to, they're not going to know where to start. Well, in a presentation world, we kind of can, we can, not kind of, we can control that pacing, right? We can show, you know, one bar at a time in our bar chart, right? We can show, you know, here's 40 lines on this graph, you can see how they're all going up, but they're all gray. And now I'm going to show you this one line that's red and it's going the opposite direction. I mean, I think the presentation world for data visualization is has some advantages to it because we can control the pacing. We kind of know people are there to pay attention to it. I mean, hopefully pay attention to us. We're like, you, you don't really know that when you, you know, you post your PDF up on the, on the web, you don't know, you know, the level of, of concentration. And so, you know, things that you might have to write in a scatter plot to help people understand how to read it, which you might worry, is, is this enough text? Is this too much text? Is it cluttered? You know, when you put it up on a screen, you can literally point to it and you don't have to worry about that. And so I think there's some some uh advantages to that to that live presentation that you don't get in sort of the static or even online uh data visualizations and at the beginning of our conversation you you started talking about something which is i think it's key it's super important and you said that for example you're normally your target audience you, you think about researchers and and by the way in another book which i love the title elevate the debate mm -hmm. great title you talk about how researchers can make their research more accessible to a wider audience beyond mm -hmm. just the academics the researchers beyond just the experts but i think john that it's not just for researchers this is a principle that applies in many different contexts as well again if we think about business owners business leaders business professionals 
it doesn't have to be a piece of research, but we want to communicate something. It could be a product, a service, an idea, sure. a project we've been working on, a project we want to work on. And we want the audience to, as you said earlier, to do something, to take action. And so what, what do you think? What, what are some of the, what's your take on this? Some of the ideas that, again, we need to consider when it comes to making sure that our research or our message in general is accessible and understood by as many people as possible, even if they're not experts in mm. our subject, in our area of expertise. Yeah. I, I mean, I think one thing is the language that we use, right? And, I, and this is this is really not separate, but kind of maybe even before we talk about data visualization or slide design, right? Like, what are the words, the phrases that we're using, right? Um I mean, anyone, I mean, it doesn't matter really what sector you're in, right? Whether you're a researcher, you're in sales, you're in marketing, you're in business, you know, everybody, every field has its own jargon. It has its own, um, it has its own language. And so uh, if you, oh, here's a good example. I have a friend who just started, a, she's now the chief innovation officer at a, at a, at a tech firm. And uh, she is she she's brought in because she's amazing at, at marketing and 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 that sort of thing, which I have no experience in. But she's at a tech firm where she's typically in the past been in the media field, right? So now she's moving into tech, and the the words and the language and the terminology is just totally different. And so she needs to learn this language. But she's not gonna be able to do that on her own. And I think that's one of the things that my friend is sort of experiencing is trying to communicate with her new colleagues and new staff about having them educate her. And so to just start throwing around terminology, you know, not everybody knows that. And I think the what you said that that John Medina mentioned on the on the other show, you know, it, it is true. What is obvious to us is is that's it. It's just obvious to us, but it's not obvious to everybody. And I, I think it's it's probably just human nature, right? Like you're you're whatever you're doing, whether it's work or a hobby or whatever, you're sort of just like in your own little world. We're all in our own little worlds, and you kind of forget that. Yeah, not everybody knows what a you know, widget is and not everybody knows what a, what a flurgan is. Right. And you, you, you do. So I think it, I think it does start with language, um, which is kind of in some ways an easy way to think about getting started with communicating data because you don't need to worry about what tool you're going to use or how you're going to build it or what the colors are, or what graph it is even. It's just what is, and I'm going to use the word story here, but I'll use it kind of loosely. Like what is the message? What is the story that you want to convey? And if you can kind of distill that down, I think then you can get on this path of saying, okay, so I know I want to, uh, you know, I want to show that our revenues have gone up over the last five quarters because of this event that happened. Okay, that's the thing you want to talk about. That's the thing you want to show in your graph. Now, how? what's the best way to do that? Now we can talk about the graph, but you've been able to distill it down to a message, which is done first, I think, in words. I think that's how, certainly how, I think, I think we all think in words first, and then we see how can the visual support that message? Yeah, we need to start with with the message. And you made me think about something when, when you said the language we use, the phrases we use. 
I think, John, this is the more complex or the more technical your topic, your subject, the more relevant this is, the more mm-hmm. the more useful what you said becomes. Uh, and I think, John, simple can be harder than complex. You said at the very beginning, again, that like distilling a a 150 page report into a one page is super hard that's the same principle here yeah. simple can be harder than complex because anyone can use long confusing sentences anyone can use jargon acronyms industry specific mm-hmm. terminology again just because we understand them but that doesn't mean that the audience understand them too yeah and by the way i think john that that's what a lot of people do because and, and I'm thinking about mainly the, the business world. A lot of business professionals use complex language because they think that if they do that, then they sound smarter right. and more credible. But we know that the opposite is true. Yep. If, if we look at what great communicators do is they they do the opposite. They replace complex language words, sentences with, with simple ones. Yeah, great point. And, you know, yeah, and, and the word simple should not be confused with well i don't know what the other word is i i I guess like simplistic yeah simplistic yeah exactly right we are we are making the content more accessible for people by distilling it down but we're not dumbing it down we're not yeah simplistic i think is the right the right word yeah i mean it's it's simple but not simplistic and i think that you know i guess it's it's possible it's likely that many people sort of confuse those two you know, yeah. I certainly, in my experience, especially with researchers, you know, they often think that, oh, you know, if I, you know, why are you making me craft a tweet? You know, I'm, I have to reduce this down. I have to simplify it down to 180 characters. Um, we're not trying to eliminate uh, all the important detail and nuance and subtlety, but we're trying to get people from one place to another place. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, again, I don't think it matters what field you're in all of these, these are, it's just communication, right? Communication is across the board, no matter what field you're in, whether it's research, whether it's business, whether it's science, marketing, whatever it is, it's communication at its core is about getting information to the hands of people who can use it. And and that is really independent of what your area is. Because I think all these things that we've been talking about with language, visual type and platform, they apply to everybody. Yeah. And you're right. It's not about making it simplistic. It's about, if we think about the language we use, going back to what you said earlier, it's about finding and using language that as many people as possible can understand in your particular audience. Of course, if you are talking to an audience of experts in your field and they have a high level of knowledge of your of your subject then again the context is is different but in in, in many cases that's not that's not the right. case right. and i'd like to also mention one of your i think it's your your latest book i think you published it in may if i, if mm-hmm. I remember yeah, well, may. yeah which is data visualization in excel which i haven't yep. i haven't read yet I, I read the others but not not this one <laughs> also because excel is not my my platform <laughs> uh, but I was just curious. Actually, uh, I asked a, a friend of mine who's an economist here in, mm. in London, and he uses Excel all the time. And I said, I'm going to interview uh, John Webridge. Do you have any questions for him? He wrote this book on Excel. And he <laughs> said, 
is there one feature or tool within Excel that you think that anybody who uses Excel often should know, should use? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, yes. So now specifically with data visualization, because there's lots of other parts of Excel that I would not consider myself an expert on. You know, there's Power Query and there's a DAX yeah. language and there's VBA language, but specifically to, to data visualization. One thing that Microsoft rolled out, now it's probably been two or three years ago. When you go into label, add labels to your graph, uh, and you format those labels, you can, as in the past, you can tell Excel to put, you know, the name of the series uh, or the, the you know, if it's a scatter plot, you might be able to choose between the X value or the Y value. But what they added a few years ago was what they call value from cells as an option. So you can check this little box. It brings up a new pop-up window and you can select any, you know, area on the spreadsheet to add your labels, your custom labels. So this was always a problem when you had say a scatter plot and you wanted to add labels to each of the dots for the countries, for example. You had to, prior to this, you had to, you know, sort of figure out a workaround or find a third party thing or do it manually, which is a hassle. And now you just select the dots, you add your labels and you format them and you can select a country list and it just saves so much time. And the other thing that enables you to do, and it's something that I, I do in the book a lot, which is to add customizations to your graphs because you can say, if you if you uh, imagine a line chart, right? Just imagine a simple line chart and you want to add like a pointer. You know, there's some event happened at some point in that in that series. You know, you could add a text box, but the text boxes in Excel, they're always, they never go in the right spot. And I'm sure as you know, when you move it over to PowerPoint, it doesn't sort of follow. So what you can do is you can add, you know, another, data series to that chart and then you can customize how the label looks and i i think you know they've added other graph types and they've added some other capabilities but i think for sort of like the day-to-day and because we've been talking about text and labeling so much an explanation in this in this conversation i think that to me is the is one of the biggest features that they've added is this ability to sort of customize your labels more than you ever were in the past I'm going to share this clip with, with my friend Francesco. <laughs> if great. he doesn't know, then hopefully yeah. I'm sure it will be very useful yeah, saving time. Yeah. And and also, John, you also talk about in the book, but in general, you talk about beyond Excel. If we think about data, other data visualization tools. Now, in general, John, I don't like to go into the conversation of tools because you also mentioned it. For me, everything starts with the message. Mm -hmm. The message for me, also as a presentation coach, without, you said, story, a message that resonates with the audience, then for me, everything else is not less important, but it's the second step. The first step is the the audience, the message. But because we're having this conversation, do you, when it comes to data visualization beyond Excel, can you recommend some, even just one or some tools yeah. that you think are, are really cool? Great, great. Oh use. yeah, no, I could recommend. I mean, there are count. <laughs> I mean, countless data visualization tools. I'll, I'll tell you the ones that I use the most. So, um, uh, in addition to Excel, uh, I use uh, also use a tool uh, R, uh, which is a programming language. So for um, statistics, isn't it? Yeah, for statistics, but it has a great. Um, 
uh, data visualization library called ggplot2. Because so, great... I, so I study economics okay. many years ago at university, and we used R. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, R know the, a... I didn't know about the, the data visualization. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, Hadley Wickham, uh, who uh, developed, invented, uh, I guess invented, uh, this package called ggplot2, um, which is terrific because what it really does is it uses um, kind of like a layering um, model behind it so that you can just sort of like keep adding layers to your graphs. And it's it's actually quite intuitive when you start uh, start start coding, but it's a coding language. So, you know, you kind of, you know, you need to code, you know, you need to code. And so not everybody has the interest or time to learn how to code. So, so that's, that's um, kind of that side of the spectrum. But the other uh, tools that I use, there are two browser-based tools that I like. Uh, one is called Data Wrapper uh data wrapper with a w in there uh from a team out of germany uh is an open or not open but is a free tool actually uh with you know as everything is you get sort of free up until a point then yeah Premium. uh you kind of need to customize but uh i really like data wrapper it's a it's a somewhat limited library of graph types um but you can drop your data in you can generate an interactive version of the graph which you can embed or you can download it as a png or as an svg file so you can edit the static version um and and you know the embed the embedded piece is obviously you know sort of key and the other type of those tools that i like is a, a tool called flourish and uh there may be people people listening to this this podcast who use the canva design tool definitely um yeah so uh canva bought flourish oh. uh probably now about a year ago so you can actually add flourish graphs into your canva toolkit um the flourish graphs it's a much broader library it tends to focus a little bit more on animated graphics which is fine if you need that um i also will you know make my graphs and flourish if i need them and i'll download them as pngs and you know or pdfs or svgs and you know edit them that way and then i guess i guess the other world is the 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 dashboarding or the business intelligence world and i guess there are there are many but the two big players are tableau um and power bi which is microsoft's version um and they both have their their various advantages and, and disadvantages. Um, if you uh, if you have the Office 365, I think that's what they call it still, Office 365 subscription, um, you, Power BI comes with that. Not everybody knows that, but it comes with it. So you can basically get it for free if you already have the subscription model. Um, and Tableau has its own, uh, you know, it's a standalone tool. So you can sort of get it. Now, Salesforce bought Tableau. So if your organization has Salesforce, um, I think shortly in the near future, there'll be, I'm sure there'll be a Tableau instance that'll be available right within Salesforce. So there are, you know, a lot of things sort of combining, but I would just sort of boil it down to coding languages with the one that I use is R, but there are many others, Python, JavaScript, uh, Svelte, Node. Um, then there are kind of your click, drag and drop, Excel, Google Sheets, those sorts of tools. Then there's the browser-based tools, Flourish and Data Wrapper, my two favorite. And then there's the business intelligence, business intelligence dashboarding tools like Tableau and Power BI are the two that I uh, I use. But there there are several others. But um, those are the kind of the big those are kind of the big players out there. 
Thank you. We're going to include all of these resources right. in, in the show notes. And John, I, I know that you also often, which is great, talk about accessibility when it comes mm -hmm. to data visualization, making sure that your data is accessible, can be seen, can be understood by everybody, even those who, for some reasons, can't. Right. And also for this podcast, some time ago, I interviewed Steffi Hogan. By the mm -hmm. way, I saw that you are connected with her on LinkedIn. I don't know if you, if you know each other, but Steffi, oh, yeah. he's, he's an expert in designing accessible presentations, so mainly from a presentation design perspective. So there's an episode on, on that. What, what, what are your ideas here around making your data accessible? Yeah, so there's a lot of considerations. I think in the data visualization world, I think people focus primarily on vision impairments, which, which I think makes sense, but I would just remind people that there are other forms of disabilities, uh, physical impairments, uh, uh, intellectual impairments, uh, there's also uh, disabilities and impairments that are not permanent, right? If I break my arm today and I can't use my mouse on my computer, how am I going to navigate to the different websites? So I, I would just remind people that they're kind of go beyond vision. Um, and, and then once when you start thinking about accessibility, um, you know, I think also people tend to focus on in the data viz world, they tend to focus on color vision impairments, you know, reds and greens are typically problematic, but I would also remind folks that there are lots of other types of vision impairments, you know, bright whites versus very dark. So there's lots of things to consider. Um, but I would say that the big thing to think about for those of us who are primarily in the world of static visualizations, right? So you've got your PDF or you've got a static image is that uh, is to uh, think about how to write your alternative text, your alt text. And different platforms need and use different things. So when you're on Twitter, for example, you put an image on Twitter, there's a little button you can click that says add a description and you can write the alt text in the box. When you're in the Microsoft Word or PDF world, um, you can also add or should add alt text to those images as well. And, and PowerPoint as well. If you're going to share your, your PowerPoint slide deck out, you want to add alt text to, to the images. And uh, we're, I won't go all the way into it, but basically alt text describes what the image is. And the reason why there is this thing called alt text, and, and this is probably the easiest way, to, well, it is the way to think about it, is if you are unable to see, if you are blind and you're unable to see your computer screen, what you will likely use is a tool known as a screen reader. And there's lots of different types of screen readers and screen readers are very simple. They, I mean, not simple to build, but the, what they do is simple. They literally read what's on the screen aloud to the user. And so if you think about your, your uh, page and your report that has a paragraph and then a figure and an image, what the screen reader does is it literally reads that text and then it gets to the, it gets to the image. And depending on the screen reader, if there's no alt text, it will either just skip that image or it will read maybe the name of the file. So blah, 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 figure1.png. That's not particularly useful. So the alt text uh, will enable me as the creator to write a description of that image so that someone who's using a screen reader, when they get to the image, they'll, it'll say, 
you know, for example, a bar chart that shows the unemployment rates across five countries, you know, the U.S., Germany, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I've, I've, I wrote a, a, or, or edited a, a big report uh, in December of last year uh, that goes through a lot of different strategies for making more accessible data visualizations um, as part of our, what we call our do no harm project, which is uh, thinking about ways to, to work better uh, and more equitably and more inclusively with data. So we, in this series, we're thinking about data privacy and equity. We're thinking about accessibility. We're thinking about data on gender and race and sexual orientation, all these sorts of things that, that we really should be thinking about when we're working with or communicating our data. Is this report available online? Sure is. Yeah, sure is. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll try and find there. Yeah. If I don't, or maybe if you want to send me a link, then then if you want, we can include it in the show notes as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'd love for people to to check that out. It's uh, it's uh, a growing body of work. I think we're now at four reports with three more on the way. So yeah. So there's a there's a lot in this in this body of work. Very exciting stuff. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much. And also thank you for explaining so clearly what all text is and why it's useful because again often i often hear people in these in this space talk about you need to include all text and you need to do this but 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 then we go back to what john medina says we should not take it for granted many people do know what all text is but not everybody mm -hmm. so we should not right. take it for granted that just because we need to use you need to use all text that then the everybody in the audience understand what that is and why it's right. important right. so thank Absolutely. you for explaining it and all right, so beyond your own resources. So again, I mentioned your your books and I recommend all of them. I haven't read the the last one on Excel, but mm -hmm. I mean I know your work, I know the other books, fantastic books, <laughs> fantastic resources. So better data visualizations, better presentations, elevate the debate, and now recently data visualization in Excel. And then you've got your blog, policyvs.com, the website. We're going to include everything. Beyond your, your own resources, if you think about what we talked about today, is there one book or, or some books that you would like to recommend for our audience? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, so I do make, so I did include a list of some of my favorite resources in the, in the back end of the data visualization Excel book. I think... There's an interesting, I guess, evolution in data visualization books right now. Um, I feel like we're kind of moving towards the next level. So, you know, my data visualization or my better data visualizations book really is kind of like your intro. Here's some basic best practices. Here's here's this library of graphic types. Um, there are several new books out that I think are really interesting to sort of think about the next iteration. Um, I'm looking at my 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 bookshelf here on the um I've got several bookshelves in this office. Uh, that's my that's my pandemic uh, self-care is just buying books. Um, so there's a book uh, called uh, Functional Aesthetics by Bridget Cogley and Vidya Settler that I think is a really nice sort of like I don't know if I would call it 201 book, but I think it's a nice accompaniment to some of these intro books. Um, if you are into kind of like more graphic design illustration, uh, building science graphics by Jen Christensen. Jen is the, the science editor at Scientific American is a really nice, nice primer. And then there's a new book, which I don't know where it is around here. It's around here somewhere uh, by Nigel Holmes called Joyful Infographics. 
that I think is just like, oh, it's just a lovely read. Uh, Nigel has been in the field for 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 many years. He started out as one of the first uh, illustrators, data visualization folks at Time Magazine, and has been a freelancer now for the last several years. Uh, but he has this book, Joyful Infographics, that I think is just a nice way to think about how do you bring joy to your own work working with data? I think, you know, we've all had this experience where it can be a little drudgery sort of, you know, going through spreadsheets and writing code over and over and over again. And you just kind of like, like, where's the fun part. And so I think that's a really nice book to think about the, the, um, the, the joy, but there are, there are lots of others and I maintain, maintain lists of them on my, on my website. But um, I, I think, you know, one thing that, that people often, ask me is like, is what is like a 201? What is the intermediate level of, of data visualization classes or workshops? And I, I really think that that is, that is just making stuff. Uh, the 201 is, is just building and making and trying and, and, you know, getting feedback, you know, be it publicly or, or from your colleagues and coworkers, just, just trying different things and, and exploring. And I think that's the best way you learn to become better at the craft is you just, you just make things which applies to data visualization. It applies to, in general, presentation yeah. skills as yeah. well. So we need, of course, we need knowledge, we need technique, but then when you've got this combination, what really makes a difference is practice mm -hmm. in communication in, in general. Okay, so John, thank you so much. If, by the way, this is going to be... I know already we are going to have a lot of resources and links in the show notes, uh, which is which is great. So so thanks for that. And as we approach the the end of our conversation, if anybody wants to learn more about what you do, if they'd like to connect with you, where where should they go? Yeah. Uh, so as we mentioned, so they can check me out on my website, so policyviz.com. Um, I'm still on Twitter. Uh, maybe one of the last, I don't know. Uh, so I'm at Jay Schwabish on Twitter and Instagram. And I also have my own Substack newsletter that, um, I publish kind of every other week, um, with, you know, kind of draft blog posts. So you get that kind of like first view, um, coupon codes to different conferences that people pass over to me, uh, things I'm reading, things I'm watching, all that sort of good stuff. So I have a, so, so basically it's, it's, you can pretty much find me in all the major places. Uh, yeah. And I hope people will, will reach out with their, with their questions and, and ideas as well. And the newsletter uh, is, can people find you on your website or is there a specific... Yeah, you can sign up on my website. It's, it's a sub stack. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, look, if you find Schwabish is not the most common, common last name. So if you just look for me on Substack, you'll, you'll find it pretty quickly. But yeah, if you go to, go to my website, you can sign up for the, for the Substack there. By the way, out of curiosity, if you don't mind me asking uh, the, yeah. the, your surname, like where, where does that come from? Uh, German, Germany. It's German. Yeah. Um, but the only German, uh, only German word I know how to say is Schwabish and probably not with the right accent. So, um, I try not to try not to pretend. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the first time I, I discovered you years ago and your full name, I expected a kind of German speaking, well, an English speaking with a German accent, uh, right. person, but then, then no, uh, then when I saw your talks and your videos online, uh, that wasn't the case. So I was just curious. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Okay. And 
what's the uh, last question john what's the the most important thing so we talked about many things today yeah let's say that people listen to this episode or they watch the the video and then after a while they forget most of it not because of you but because because that's how our brain works yeah yeah but let's say that they remember one thing and if they remember that thing you would be happy that that was a good episode and a good result for you what what's that thing yeah i think and this is probably similar to 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 your work and and your trainings right like think about the audience think about the an audience is general right so reader user audience member whatever it is think about who the person is who those folks are what they bring so their level of expertise the language that they know their level of expertise to the content and to the graph type and i think if you can just i mean that's what i always tell my students the main thing i can show you all these tricks and tips about data viz but if you haven't thought about your audience, your work is not going to have the impact that you want it to. So I think that's the thing is to keep in mind is who the audience is and how you can best meet their needs. And I think all the other stuff almost, as you mentioned earlier, like almost comes secondary to that, right? Because you can make the best, coolest looking slide or graph or dashboard. But if someone can't use it or doesn't understand it, then it's 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 not going to help them. And that's And that's what we're trying to do. And I'm glad that you say that because coming from you, that you focus a lot on the the visualization aspect, it becomes even more more powerful. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. And John, thank you very much for, for your time. I really appreciate it, for sharing your insights, all the resources, the links, and let's keep in touch. And yeah, all the absolutely. very best. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode of the Ideas on Stage podcast, there are many more you might like. So please subscribe, leave us a review, and tell us what you think. You can find many more ideas on business communication at ideasonstage.com or by searching for Ideas on Stage on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and goodbye for now.